Welcome to Ariel Talk Time, hosted by business intuitive, entrepreneur, and founder of Ariel, Victoria Lynn Weston. Listen to her thought-provoking interviews with inspiring leaders, creators, and intuitive thinkers who share their stories and lifestyle tips to enhance your way of living. And we're inviting you to join our conversation. If you like this interview, please post a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hi, everybody. It's Victoria. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. Before I get started with my guest, who's quite exciting, and I absolutely love her story, and I can't wait to share it with you, but I want to let you know a little bit about Amazon Alexa, because you know, the future is here, and it's all about voice platforms. In fact, I think that the whole website industry is so 1990. Today, there's a better way to engage your audience and also create a revenue stream and do all sorts of interactive ability for that. And my company, Studio Carlton, we do just that. So if you're looking to expand your brand, gain recognition, and really engage your audience, you might want to consider having your own custom Amazon Alexa skill. Everybody needs one, and um, you could use it for a variety of ways, but I don't want to talk too much about that. But also, while I'm on the subject of Amazon Alexa, you might want to check out our Aerial Positive Living Alexa skill, because it's really neat. Every day, you get to have a positive motivational tip from very uh, recognized, renowned leaders in the world of like dream work interpretation, uh, spiritual mediumship, myself on offering intuitive development tips, and much, much more. So ask Alexa, open positive living from your Amazon Echo device, or just go over to amazon.com and search positive living Alexa skill. My guest today has a story, and it's quite an extraordinary story. In spring of 2016, she reached a pivotal crossroad in her life. She weighed 300 pounds and felt like she was on the verge of a heart attack. She was constantly in pain, shortness of breath, and physically and mentally exhausted. She couldn't take it anymore. She didn't like the way she looked, and she even avoided going out. She was absolutely miserable. And then one day, she received a message from God, and that set her on a different path. She found value, purpose, and direction, and she began treating her body as God's gift to be cherished and honored as a sacred temple. She saw it as a machine to be entrusted to her to help achieve her own mission. This set her on a a timeline and a journey that she includes in her book, Her book is all about overcoming obesity and adverse health conditions and to win an uphill battle. She wrote it to help others who share these struggles to show you that you can fine-tune your machine, the body that is God's gift to you, to function properly with the right maintenance. You start simply by supplying with the right source of fuel, a plant-based diet, which is my absolutely favorite lifestyle. I mean, it's live, and you eat it that way. You don't have all those chemicals and compounds and preservatives in red meats or processed. In addition to cooking and writing, my guest also enjoys being a mother, a lawyer, a speaker, and personal health coach. She's consulted with CEOs, executive teams to develop multi-year strategic plans. Today, she uses these skills to empower black women as daughters of the Most High to help them develop pathways to divine health and navigate the threats and opportunities that are present along the way. Now, here's one thing I want to share with you. The one thing that really intrigued me about my guest's story. She put this cookbook together, and what I liked about it is she has some of her grandmother's recipes. In fact, I should say she takes soul food, if you will, and she makes it more healthy. And she went through 
certain parts of history. And if you've ever seen the movie like Water for Chocolate, that you know that the main character is, is baking all this stuff. And sometimes she's happy, sometimes she's crying. And depending on the energy that she's putting in this food while she's preparing it, preparing to bake it, then her guests and family would eat it. And they would basically exhibit the same kinds of emotions that she was putting into that food. When well, a similar sense, my guest has done that with soul food. She goes back to her grandmother and back to the days of slavery and how those certain emotions were put into food and how she wants to basically transform that to be a more positive experience, but to sort of help that history live to an optimum level of happiness, if that's possible. But anyway, we're going to talk with her and you'll learn more about that. So she did that, and she does other awesome thing called Divinity Soup, which I think is really fun. But anyway, I want to introduce my guest. Her name is Sheila Brown, and she has a wonderful website, Sheila Brown Speaks. You can learn more about her. And next up, let's go find our inspiration of the day. It's a pleasure to meet you. I am so excited to talk with you. I just, you know, I had bits and pieces of your backstory, you know, because when you're getting emails and pitch emails, you're only half reading the stuff, and you go back and forth, and... Romy did such an excellent job with all her presentation and bringing out all the details in that. And you are truly a, a butterfly. It's just wonderful being able to, you know, float through life and touch people and be able to inspire them and inspire them on what I think is the most important thing. And that's through food, yeah. you know, and we all are foodies. When I first saw the, uh, the, the, uh, the topic about soul food vegans, I thought, well, this is it. I mean, I, <laughs> who doesn't love soul food? And, you know, my husband and I were primarily vegetarians anyway. And I just thought this is great. Cause I think everybody should kind of live a little more on the plant food diet. I'm not talking about that excuse me, that fake plant stuff out there, although it's got a good purpose. I just think real live food is just what we need nutrition wise. So before we get going on this thing, I want to congratulate you because you are one of the top five or 10 people in a, a phenomenal Bon Appetit Global Chef Award. And that is just quite extraordinary. And kudos to you on that. <laughs> Thank you. That uh, The competition is actually still going on. And unfortunately, I am no longer in it. It's um, moved to the quarterfinals. And um, there are like four different sets of finals. And I was in the top five for my group. Um, and then they eliminated four. So the person who um, proceeded to the next round is now competing at the quarterfinal level. So um, that was an accomplishment because I had to beat out like 28 people. Um, so it was fierce competing, but in the end, um, it's going to be going on till April. And now there are about 64 contestants that are left. So it's... Um, I appreciate it. I felt like I won the final all thing to myself. Hey, it's a big deal. <laughs> Just getting in the in the top five of, you know, Bon Appetit's global favorite chef is a big deal. And kudos mm -hmm. to you because any of us that enter any kind of contest, it's a big deal to have that kind of placement. So you have a new book out. It's all about soul food for vegans. And before I dive into that, you have a, a very incredible blessed background. And I'm going to touch on it just slightly here that before you became, I guess, a chef and, and more or less into a healthy lifestyle, you used to weigh 300 pounds. Yeah, I did. I and did. then you got a message from God. Uh -huh, I did. So tell me what the message from God was. <laughs> well, um, the message from the creator that I received was that I had a life worth living. I had a purpose to fulfill in life. And one of the reasons why I was not able to do so was because the vehicle 
the, the vessel that I had been blessed with to facilitate that life purpose was being abused. And um, it was no longer acceptable for me to be the culprit behind the abuse. You know, it's one thing when we are the victims of abuse by others, and um, that is an unfortunate situation in itself, but it's a whole nother animal when you are the perpetuator of self-abuse. And it's something that once you recognize that you are the person who is the source of your own oppression and abuse, um, it's very painful and it is um, a paradigm shifting kind of um, realization. And then you have to do something about it. And so what happened for me was um, it was all triggered by my son's 18th birthday. Um, we were snowed in here in the Maryland area. And um, I had to contend with the fact that he was no longer able to celebrate because what we called snowmageddon. And I had to come up with a clever way to keep him entertained and feeling like his birthday wasn't a complete and total flop. So I snuck out in the house this big cake and um, I got him a laptop and, you know, he, he was very grateful for it. And I remember he sliced the cake and he offered me a slice. And it was the first time I had ever said no to food in quite some time. And he said, mom, you're not having cake. And I just said, no, babe, I don't think I should have it. And he left the room to enjoy his laptop, closed the door. I laid on my bed. I took a selfie and I looked at the picture and I said, who is this? I didn't even recognize myself. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that my son was turning 18 because 18 was a pivotal point in my life. And it was actually a crossroads where a lot of my in adult encounters became very abusive. And it was a downward spiral from like 18 up into that point where I had lost total self-esteem and completely lost my sense of um, grounding and personal you know, personal autonomy. And the result of that for me was in a body that physically looked like how I felt spiritually. Um, I felt um, outside of myself. I felt less than, I felt inadequate. And I was looking like that. And worse, I was feeling lonely. And I didn't know that I was lonely. I was lonely financially. I was lonely spiritually. I was lonely romantically. And I was becoming so isolated that, you know, even an invitation to a wedding or a birthday party was like a curse for me. It meant trying to find something to wear and competing against women who still had life in them, who still wanted to be beautiful, vibrant, sexy, attractive. I had gotten to this place where I was almost invisible. I discovered there's a thing that you can do when you're really down and out in life. And it's to get really, really big. It will make you invisible. And it's ironic because the larger you get, the more outrageously obese you get, it seems like the less and less people notice you. And it's a form of protection in a way. It's like a way of saying to the world, hey, I'm not really here. I don't count. You don't have to like look at me. You don't have to consider me. You don't have to recognize me. I'm just floating, occupying a little bit of space and I don't want to be connected with. And so that's where I was on that day on my son's birthday, January 23rd, 2016. And I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it at all. And I reached out to some, some voice somewhere. And I just said, I can't be like this. 
I can't do this anymore. This is not who I was. I, I'm, how did I get here? And ironically, my phone rang. And at that point, the voice on the other end told me that someone in the spirit cared for me deeply. It was a person who dialed me accidentally. Her name is Dr. Dallas, and she is a physical fitness expert. Oh, and wow. She was looking for Sheila, but it was the wrong Sheila. Now, I had known her for years. Um, when I used to live in D.C., I left and came back. And she said, uh, Sheila. And I said, oh, my God, Dallas. And, and she said, oh, Sheila. Oh, I got the wrong Sheila. I was like, no, you don't. I need to schedule an appointment with you. And from that day forward, my life started to move into a different direction. Um, and I'll say this, by March, March 19th of that year, I had already implemented some steps based off of my work with her. And so I, I started to do some of the things that she said and they were helpful, but I was still eating and I was still eating a lot and I was still eating excessively. I was still eating emotionally. And basically, um, it was some things that she put in place, like getting a juicer and eating more veggies and um, incorporating some movement into my life that made big changes. But I came across a documentary on March 20th, and I never forget, I watched that documentary. And I, I couldn't believe there was a man saying that he lost 90 pounds naturally just by doing a 60-day juice fast. And the following day, I said, I'm doing this. And it just something came over me. And from that point, I have never turned back. I finished that 60 days of juicing. I lost 57 pounds. Wow. I naturally lost my desire for fat, for sugar, for meat, for salt. And I just continued juicing, but at the food level, I started eating more plant-based, all plant-based. And I started discovering more ways to maintain the continuous weight loss. So I ended up losing 135 pounds over the course of 15 months by doing what I said the creator intended for us to do naturally, which was eating a plant-based diet, moving our bodies in a healthy way, um, doing some intermittent fasting, and being more mindful and prayerful. And out a as a result of that, I literally came flat to face with my divine purpose, which is helping other women, particularly women who come from my background as a woman of African descent who has a special connection to food that originated out of slavery that is very debilitating for many Black women. And so I ended up writing a book called Divinity Soup, which is a plant-based recipe that inspires women. I introduced this concept that I call divinely prepared meals, which is the premise that soul food has a lot less to do with the ingredients and much more to do with the intention of the person who is preparing the meal. Don't put so much emphasis on the fact that our ancestors were eating ham hocks or chitlins or collard greens, but think about what would have happened if the primary food for them were star anise, you know, oregano, and, you know, eggplant. It would still be soul food. The ingredients would just be different. So it's the intention that matters. And I'm sure that our ancestors had the intention to feed their families with the best way they could to feed both sides of human hunger, which is both physiological and spiritual. Two books came out of that experience. 
and a coaching program. And now I have an emotional eating program that is designed specifically to meet the needs of these women who I believe have been completely disadvantaged based off of this 400 years of a legacy of slavery that is unfortunately misinterpreted as culture, which was really just survival mechanisms. So I go through and I do a 10 week course on how we need to re-examine our relationship with food, our relationship to power, and our relationship to um, family, community, and the creator. So when you go through on your recipes, did you go through them, like, did you go through your own family book of recipes and say, I'm taking this out? And did, at that time, did you sort of reconnect with, with your grandmother, your mother, your other family? And so, I mean, I get goosebumps just talking about it with you about it. I thought, you know, <laughs> yeah. it probably, you know, was them, you know, speaking from the other side in some form of, you know, communication and then sort of revamp that, but without losing that blessing and that positive energy that they put into that recipe, if that makes sense. You know, um, all of my cooking inspiration came from largely two people. And that was my grandmother, who I used to spend almost every summer with. And then I had the privilege of living with her for one year as a teenager um, in middle school. And watching the way she related to food in her kitchen, her kitchen was absolutely sacred. I mean, you could actually eat off of her floor. She always had a mop and broom, always had cleaning supplies going, and she was so immaculate. Her, her kitchen was spotless white. I mean, there was never a dish out of place, and she was so meticulous, and it wasn't a large kitchen. It wasn't a fancy kitchen. I don't even think she had a microwave when I first, you know, was coming up, but her kitchen was her sacred place, and um, everything she did from baking cakes to um, baking cornbread to, you know, preparing her collard greens, it was a ritual. And I was intrigued by it, even as a little girl. And the way Divinity Soup came about was I was so intimidated about eating collard greens because she was so hard on me about you don't ever eat collard greens at someone else's house because they don't clean them properly. And, you know, this was back in the day when collard greens were purchased at the store. They didn't look like they look at Whole Foods now, all nice and clean and pristine. Yeah. <laughs> they were dirty. They were filthy. And so she had her sink, she had a two um, tub sink and she would fill her sink ironically with detergent. You would never believe, I don't know how we survived it, but she would use Tide detergent. Oh my God. And, and as I examined, you know, other women from the South and their families, they said, oh yeah, my, my, my grandma and great grandma did that too. It was a Southern thing that they would use um, clothing detergent to wash their collard greens. And my dad even said, that he saw my grandmother use bleach in her chitterlings, which as you probably already know, are the intestines of a pig, right? The an another aspect of slave, uh, the slavery experience that many people held on to. Now she knew something was instinctively wrong and unhealthy about it. So she was doing her best to clean it, but it was these little things that she was doing that lots of people had the experience of, I was surprised, that made me mindful of cooking is a real um, intentional process for her. And she would say like, one day she would just wake up and say, I think I want me some greens. And by that time, I knew that didn't mean we were going to have greens for dinner. It meant like a week and a half or now maybe two weeks at best. Oh. <laughs> and so it would just be a thought, a thought that she just had. And we would eventually get to the store 
And my God, we would spend an hour just combing over the collard greens, it seemed like. So I learned how to acquire a set of patience. And then I have to go home and watch her go through three days of cleaning the greens. And then the final outcome was this amazing small pot of greens after all of that work, but they were so delicious. They were so pure, they were so clean and they were so divine. But I personally never attempted to cook collard greens until I had gone through this process of doing this 60 day juice fast, losing all this weight and coming up with the idea that I wanted to honor my grandmother in a way that allowed me to still be plant-based, but still held on to her soulfulness. Right. So that's how divinity soup came about. It replaced her pork and her, um, you know, maybe some of the things that she was cleaning with, with a more um, holistic form for, for plant-based people. Like I was finding ways to create the smokiness and the flavorfulness with certain herbs and spices like star anise, amino acids, garlic, you know, lots of garlic powder and onion and these amazing spices that I found were achieving the same goal. And so it was my tribute to her to say, thank you so much for teaching me about the divinity of preparing meals that can address both sides of human hunger. And so that's how Divinity Soup came about. So yes, it was partly, um, you know, learned experiences from watching, always starting off your kitchen with a very clean and immaculate um, setting, and also the intentionality of preparing your food, almost not necessarily taking a week to think about it, but she was combing over in her mind for a week about what that was going to look like at the end, kind of like strategic planning, which I've also done in my career, where you envision the end at the beginning. And so she knew that she was going to get these loving comments from her family about how amazing it was. And people were going to be groaning and moaning over her food and, I bet compliment they did. Yeah. and complimenting her. And she lived for that. And, and that's, that's what I said. Ah, my grandmother was doing what Khalil Gibran said when he said in his book, The Prophet, that um, there are two sides to human hunger. And when you feed when you cook, you should be feeding both sides of human hunger. And I was like, wow, that's two powerful people in my life that have made such an impactful um, force in the way I look at and view food. And that's what I teach people with my cookbooks and my cooking classes that, hey, you don't start with the actual dinner table where you're feeding people and you're eating. You start with the thought of, I want to feed someone that's going to do it in a way that makes them feel good, feel loved, and feel nutritionally um, satisfied at the same time. That's what divinely prepared meals does. And that's what the real essence of soul food is all about. So now that you're, you're an author of this, you know, this book, it was, it's a called the divinity book, right? The divinity. It's, called, it's, it's divinity soup and ancestor inspired recipes starring collard greens. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So you've got this divinity soup and you've got, you can, people can download the recipe and they can get it off your website, of course. And it can, it's with collard greens and it's all about, say, I didn't even read this part, look how I tuned into your grandmother and your childhood memories of all of that. So, you know, kudos to intuition, right? And then it's, <laughs> it's about, you know, all of that so that you, people can download this and, um, 
sort of heal, I think, on one end and, and then spiritually blossom on another end and hopefully get people sort of steered into having more of a plant-based diet. So mm-hmm. I recommend that. But on top of, you know, this author, on top of um, all your other chef ideas and, and recipes that you have, you also work with individuals as a personal health consultant. So when people come to you and do you put them on like a, uh, a program, do you tailor that or do you have like your basic thing that you introduce to them to get them focused? Well, I have three different things that I offer people. One is um, my course on how to overcome emotional eating in 21 days. I call it a paradigm shift that I'm going to be offering four times a year because it's so intensive. And I actually do that work with the students in the class. The second thing that I offer is um, a a individual coaching program that's long-term. It's about three months to six months, depending on what your needs are. And um, the the final option is for people that don't want to have that kind of commitment, but they want to talk with someone about their, um, you know, desire to switch to a plant-based diet and get some tips or um, people who are, are interested in learning more about natural weight loss and some of the strategies that they can begin to employ on their own to do it in a healthy way, in a way that's going to create long-term sustainability and results. So I have, you know, just, you know, kind of like a free freestyle, you know, you can just call me, you can go to my website and then you could get really serious where we do a life plan, which involves what I love doing, um, which is strategic planning at a personal level. I used to do strategic planning for behavioral health organizations and I learned so much about how organizations are so effective in achieving their corporate goals that I transferred those same skills over into my personal life in helping other women do the same. Um, And it's just a phenomenal program because like I said, what motivates someone to want to even have divine health is knowing that they have a divine purpose. And what is your divine purpose? That fuels your strategies for achieving or working towards a state of divine health. You never actually get to divine health. Let me clarify that because divine health is about being an excellent physical condition, possessing a sound mind and experiencing spiritual balance. And there's always something in the world that's trying to interfere with at least one or more of those things at the same time, like the toxic pollution in the air, you know, the negative news, the threats of, you know, viruses and viruses to come. So all those things have an impact on our spirit, our mind, and our ability to move our bodies. And I think it's important to people going, whether they want to lose 100 pounds or just 10 pounds, I think it's important to get that sort of balance of work with someone with your background and your your own experience with that. I also want to say what I have a second here is that people, if they want to find out about your divinity soup, you have it featured right on your website, which is SheilaBrownSpeaks.com. And, um, and it stars the collard greens and it has other ingredients in it. And I think, you know, with all the esoteric principles that are in there that people are just going to, you know, get healthier as soon as I start eating that. Now, I want to ask you though, how many vegetables do you think people should eat every day? Um, so instead of vegetables, I say how many different colors I strive to get at least seven, seven different colors. So what does that mean? Well, what kind of fruit and vegetables are red? You can get radish, 
you can get red onion, you can get a red apple, right? What greens, you can do kale, you can do cucumbers, you can do a, a, a real good nutritional lettuce, you can do some microgreens. What about yellows? That could be your yellow squash. So when I focus on colors as opposed to the number of vegetables, but to get a range of colors, I, I think I end up doing myself a better service. So see if you can start off by just getting three to five bright colors into your diet every day. And you can do that raw, you can do it with a smoothie, you can do it with juicing, or you can do it with just, you know, incorporating them into a salad. So there's a lot of different ways you can strive for colors, but colors are the key, not so much as focusing on, I'm going to eat 15 vegetables today. Does that help? Yeah. I think it's better because when you have colors, then it, you put it in your mind's eye as opposed to 15 vegetables. It's hard to get a visual right off the chart. So it's kind of, I think I'm in the mood for red today. So let me go through yeah. it that way. And I think yeah. it's a very excellent for people to kind of start that. Now, the, there was another question. Oh, I want you brought up how you add smokiness to some of your vegetables and that you use certain herbs. So what kind of herbs do add smokiness? Well, that's a good question. Um, smoked paprika is one of my favorites. Um, Star anise is another one. You know, star anise is an Eastern spice. It really does look like a star and it is the star of divinity soup, second to collard greens, of course. Um, but it has this smell like licorice, but it ends up having this really earthy and vibrant taste that just makes your soup so incredible. And I incorporate star anise as a tea sometimes, but definitely smoked paprika or any kind of paprika, cumin, black pepper, and I use essential oils too. And I use um, oregano essential oil, the therapeutic grade, which is good for cooking. Um, and I get my essential oils from Young Living. They have a line called Vitality that enables me to do that. But um, I also have a trick and that's liquid aminos. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but liquid aminos or tamari will really do that trick as well. And I oftentimes, whenever I'm cooking anything, like if I wanted to make, for example, um, a mushroom steak out of portobello, I'm gonna have some cumin, some black pepper, some amino acids, some garlic powder, and some um, smoked, paprika, smoked paprika. And that'll give you an amazing flavor. Sounds delicious. Now, how many cookbooks do you have out? So I have one cookbook and then I have Divinity Soup, which is like my first book that has the recipe for Divinity Soup. But Divinity Soup is a little bit more about the story behind my grandmother, um, the inspiration behind the poet and author and philosopher Khalil Gibran with his um, his concept of two sides of human hunger and just how I developed my method for making divinely prepared meals. Very good. And what's the name of the cookbook? Can we get it on Amazon? Uh -huh, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. It's called Sometimes Raw, Sometimes Cooked, Always Divinely Prepared. Now, I'm really big on balance. You know, I'm not one of those people that's all raw or all cooked. You know, I'm about both because I think that your body, your mind, and your spirit operate off patience. And patience is a finite resource. So I can do some fasting most at 60 days, and then I need to go back to eating. I can do some raw. I can do some cooked, but I can't just be 100% raw or 100% cooked. And I don't think that's the way it was supposed to be anyway. Um, there are some vegetables that are more digestible and actually more nutrient dense when you're cooked, particularly some greens like kale and collard greens, those heavy um, greens, they can be cooked for five minutes steamed. 
um, and they have the perfect um, the perfect texture for digestion. Um, and then sometimes you can do them raw. You can you know create a marinade out of them, but it's about balance. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself into one way or the other and then have a nervous breakdown and make everyone think that it's the worst thing in the world to be a raw vegan or to be a cooked vegan. Just have some balance and do a little bit of both. But well, even if people are red meat eaters out there, you still, I mean, it's just great to have all these vegetables and a variety of way to cook them. I think that's that's important. I think so your idea of, of having people to be more encouraged and inspired to bring in more plant-based live vegetables um, into that, that eventually, you know, you don't really give up as much of an yeah, interest in yeah, red yeah. meat. Go ahead, but, you know, find some fun ways to incorporate other textures in vegetables. You don't have to think about vegetables as always being a side. In other words, it could be the main course. Yeah, sometimes. make it the main course. Absolutely. So you have this incredible um, recipe, Divinity Soup, which is, has a very, very deep meaning and a very cherished recipe on your website. So people should go back to uh, SheilaBrownSpeaks.com and, and learn more about that and make that and sort of start a new life. I think if people ingest that, that's just my intuition. They might really start to think about, you know, life a little differently, a little more spiritual. Do you still get messages now? Like, do you think you get messages, you know, from um, spirit as you go along on, on your journey and making these, I think, spiritually divine recipes? You know, I do a lot of meditation and I get what many of us in this spiritual kind of realm consider downloads. <laughs> I consider my downloads from the most high because usually they are about uplifting humanity and transforming people's lives for the better and getting people to connect with their divine. And so um, sometimes it'll be about recipes and sometimes it'll be about a course of action or, um, you know, a uh, a way of thinking that I'm supposed to share with people about life, about food, about being mindful and grateful for what we have. So it is an ongoing process. And as long as I'm doing what I need to do, um, which is a combination of fasting and prayer and humility, I definitely still receive these divine messages from the most high. That's great. And I'm sure when you connect with people as a, a personal health consultant that you transfer all that to people. And I'm sure people hanging out with you just are probably feel really great. I'm sure that the people, you're probably like a healer. I don't even know. People sit with you, <laughs> share some food with you, and they're all happy for a few days, you know, and I have to come back around again. But you have a great story, a great life. I know you'll do more on the cookbook scene. And so um, I, I've done a couple of shows about how to cook on a budget and how to cook in the absence of electricity and um, tying in that whole ancestral role. Like, okay, so what would our ancestors have done with some cornmeal and um, no eggs and no sugar. They would have used water, cornmeal, and salt, and they would have made something that we consider today hush puppies. And so I did a little cooking class on that and how to take cauliflower and turn it into a steak that is just delectable and using your leftovers. So, you know, my, my approach to things is a little less you know, fancy sometimes and just kind of like more practical things that we can do to just be thankful, to be humble and to be frugal and to not be so wasteful. So um, yeah, hopefully, you know, one day I will get that kind of exposure with the Food Network. I'm going to put that on my to-do list, Victoria. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, I think that'd be exciting. Anyway, I appreciate you taking time with, with me today to share your story. And I encourage everybody again to go check out SheilaBrownSpeaks.com and look at her divinity recipe, learn about the story first and download it and make it. I'm sure you can share how it changed or enhanced your life, whether it was for a moment or for a lifetime.
Thank you so much, Victoria, for having me. I appreciate this time with you and I wish you many blessings and I hope you try some Divinity Soup and let me know how it goes. I will, I definitely will. <laughs> Tune in next time as there's always something new to learn on Ariel Talk Time. If you're a professional lifestyle consultant looking to expand your brand, gain more recognition, or to be featured with an exceptional group of inspiring professionals, join Ariel. Visit ariel.com 